Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Does God heal us in response to our prayers? This is a question that is surprisingly difficult to answer with authority, despite what many, at least within Christianity, would say to the contrary. Even Scripture seems to offer viewpoints that are not always in sync with each other the way we might expect or hope. I think all of us would like to be able to say that if you're afflicted in some way, simply pray to God or have someone pray for you, and you will receive the healing you seek 100% of the time. That would be nice if it worked that way, wouldn't it? So does God heal us in response to our prayers? So for my upfront answer, I would say, I think so. But it's far more complicated than just a yes or no answer. I think there are four basic answers to this question. Answer number one is no. God doesn't heal us. I'm not talking about the position of atheists here. I'm talking about the position of deists. God created the world and then stepped back and doesn't interfere with the natural order. So no, God doesn't answer prayers and intercede for us to heal us. Answer number two, yes, God does. If you sincerely ask God for healing, you will receive it, period. I'll have to tell you, I don't know many people with whom I'm personally acquainted. Actually, I don't know any who believe this. Generally, the ones I'm aware of are preachers who espouse this, and they tend to be on television or the traveling healing revival circuit. And their theology doesn't tend to be the best I can tell that everybody receives healing if they ask, but that they or an elite few of kind of spiritual gurus always can give healing if asked. Number three, yes, God does heal, but not always, only sometimes. And number four, to me, this one is a subset of the third. Yes, God does offer physical healing sometimes, but everyone who comes to God seeking healing will receive it, just maybe not the way they expect to receive it. There are other types of healing other than physical. So you may be emotionally healed or you may be healed in a time frame you didn't expect. The secret unspoken caveat of this belief is that sometimes the healing it promises doesn't happen in this lifetime and has to wait until the person seeking healing has entered into eternal life. In other words, that person has died and received the healing that eternal life brings. How about the Bible? What does it say? We can certainly turn to a passage of Scripture that says, yes, God answers prayers. James 5, 14 and 15. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. So there you go. Say prayers. God will answer the prayers. Seems to answer the question, doesn't it? 
When I was in seminary, there was a denominational requirement for seminarians after completing their first year to spend the summer as a hospital chaplain. And this program we participated in was called CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education. There are a few cases where people can do their chaplaincy that summer in other locations, in other words, a prison or a site that does ministry to the homeless or the poor, but the vast majority of these programs are located in hospitals where the seminarians function as chaplains for the summer. Now, I was 25 years old as I entered this summer chaplain intern program, and I looked, well, I looked really young. Matter of fact, two years later, after I had been ordained, I was working at a church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and on this particular day, I was wearing my black shirt and collar that identified me as a clergy person. And an older woman walked up to me and stopped me outside a grocery store as I was walking in. Are you a pastor? She asked me. In that moment, my chest puffed up just a little bit. Yes, I am. I was proud to be recognized and eagerly awaiting her asking me a question, seeking my wisdom or my spiritual guidance, or just asking for me to say a prayer over her. Instead, she said, I think it's just so wonderful that churches ordain young clergy. Okay, I was all right with that. And then she added, my church ordained a 13-year-old just last Sunday. All of a sudden, All of the air went out of my balloon. My sense of self-worth went from, I'm something special, to, I'm perceived as a 13-year-old pretending to be a priest, all in a fraction of a second. So suffice it to say, I looked young, very young back in those days. So back to the summer in the hospital, here I was beginning my chaplaincy for the summer. I was 25-year-old who looked 17 on a good day wandering around the hospital with my chaplain's badge, wearing a suit that fit me like, well, the suit of a young person, in other words, poorly. I was assigned two hospital units as my areas of responsibility. I was to work on the orthopedic floor and the outpatient chemotherapy unit. There were about seven of us in the intern program that summer, and other than our duties on our respective floors, we also took turns being on-call during the night shift. I remember my first on-call shift. I was given the beeper, and this beeper was the size of a maybe pack of juicy fruit gum. It had no lights, no display. This was, after all, 1987. It was nothing but a tiny little speaker embedded within the end of this kind of rectangle box that had a clip on it to go on your belt. When I was paged, it would make a series of awful beeping and screeching noises, and then the radio signal from the hospital allowed the switchboard operator to speak to me through the speaker. So my first night on call, I just arrived home after a long day, and as I began to take off my suit, then suddenly my pager began to screech and beep. Then the operator's voice came from the pager. Pastor, we have a request for you in third floor ICU. So I gave her a call, told her I was on the way, and headed back to the hospital. When I got to the third floor ICU, I checked in at the nurse's station first and was told that the patient in question had a 50-50 chance of survival. As so often seems to be cases in situations like this, if he made it through the next couple hours, his chances were pretty good. 
but it was far from certain that he would survive those uncertain hours. She told me that the family had been put in one of the private waiting rooms reserved for situations like this. When I stepped into the room with the family, it's a room designed for a maximum of maybe eight people, and they had shoehorned at least 15 people into the room. I squeezed my way in, chatted with them briefly, and then after talking for a while, I asked them what I could do for them. And they said, we'd love for you to lead us in prayer. One of the things my group of interns discussed a lot that summer was how to pray with patients in different situations. First rule of prayer when somebody asks for a prayer is don't assume you know what they want. Ask what they want prayed for. So I asked. They wanted a prayer for healing and for full recovery. So I knelt on the floor of that crowded room, held hands with the family members who either sat or knelt around me, and I prayed. I'll admit, I was young and inexperienced, but on that day, I prayed a mighty prayer. In my humble opinion at the time, it was unrivaled in emotional and spiritual content, and its eloquence made it a work of art. As I came to the conclusion of the prayer and was about to say the word amen, I felt a sense of pride in my accomplishment at a job well done. And as I was saying the word amen, the door behind me opened to the room and the nurse stuck her head in the room and said, I'm sorry, he's gone. I will admit, I felt more than a little let down in that moment. Doesn't God owe fledgling clergy a couple of successful prayers at the beginning of their ministry, you know, just to kind of help get their confidence? In our group sessions, the seven of us who were summer chaplains talked a great deal that summer regarding our thoughts on if God offered physical healing and why God would choose one moment over another or choose one person over another for healing. That summer, I began to wrestle spiritually with this question, and I continue to wrestle with it to this day. There are no easy, pat answers to this question. Does God answer prayers for healing? And if so, why only sometimes? And can we figure out when those sometimes, those healings will happen? Several years later, after the occurrence of my first story, I was working in a parish, and I had a parishioner call me and say she was taking her mother to the hospital in the morning. Her mom had been diagnosed with a brain tumor and was scheduled for brain surgery. Tomorrow, the hospital would do a series of x-rays or scans, enabling them to precisely locate the tumor for the surgery that would happen the following day. She wanted to know if I would meet them at the church chapel this afternoon to say prayers with her and her mother before they headed to the hospital the next morning. So I did. I met them and I asked them once again what they would like for me to pray for. And the answer was healing. So I prayed for healing. I was wiser and more experienced and a lot more humble than I was that day in the hospital. So the prayer no longer felt like the words of a mighty prophet. In truth, I felt inadequate to be the one making such a request of God. Surely there were more worthy, more holy people whose prayers would have more sway with the Creator than mine do. But I prayed the best I could, and they thanked me. The next day, 
in the afternoon, they came by my office and let me know that they'd gone to the hospital for the scans, but were eventually sent home because the scans or x-rays no longer showed any trace of the tumor. They had previous scans that clearly showed a brain tumor, but there was no tumor now. I have heard some clergy say that if you are praying for a miracle, you have to really believe that the person will be healed in order for a miracle to happen. I'll have to say, as you can tell from my own stories, that's not the case for me. And even without taking my own experience into account, I find this a troubling belief. So God's action is dependent upon my level of belief? Doesn't that give me too much power and God too little power in the equation of prayer? James Brown had the nickname the Godfather of Soul, but he was also known as the hardest working man in show business. And evidently, he earned this moniker because he was, not surprisingly, always working, continuously traveling, and never allowing himself or those around him to rest. I mention this now because I think Paul, the apostle, could have easily been named in his day the hardest working man in Christianity. Of all the apostles, surely Paul was the hardest working and the most faithful just through his sheer diligence and will. He was prolific in his writings as well as his travels. Paul seemed to spend every minute of his life proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, and no one was working harder at being faithful to his call than Paul. I tell you all of this about him because surely if ever there were a servant of God who's likely to have God respond when he asks for something, it was Paul. But Paul tells us an interesting and deeply personal story about God's response to his prayers. In 2 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us He has some sort of physical affliction. Now, he doesn't tell us what that physical affliction is. He simply calls it his thorn in the flesh. But he does tell us he prays on three separate occasions to God for healing and does not receive the healing he seeks. Now, it seems to me if Paul doesn't receive healing for his affliction— And I think we can at least get rid of the idea that God only heals the faithful and the faithful will always receive healing. We also can stop to realize that if God does not give you the healing you seek, it is not an indictment of your faith or whether or not God loves you. I will point out another difficulty with God's healing and miracles. And to make the point, I'll start by telling you of an interview I saw one time with people who were a small group of survivors from a horrible shipwreck that had happened years ago. They spoke of how God had reached out and saved them in their hour of need. And as I watched this interview, I thought to myself, but wait, wait, what about the families of those who didn't survive this shipwreck? Are they supposed to watch this and hear that somehow God looked at their family members and chose not to save them, somehow found them less worthy of being saved from the wreck? No matter what you believe about God's 
answering prayers, know that there is a flip side to that coin that may offer others theological problems in response to your belief. If you believe that God answers prayers for healing, then that's wonderful. But it's important to be sensitive to how that belief might be received by those who have not received healing. There is no adequate nor comfortable answer that explains both one person being healed and at the same time why another dies from the very same disease. If you're someone who believes that God doesn't intercede, then the question for you may be, why not? Saying that God doesn't answer prayers is awfully pat and simple. Answer in a world that is seeking hope and good news. Why wouldn't a God who has infinite power to create the entire universe not continue to actively participate in a creation that God cares so much about? So at this point, what do I believe? Do I say prayers for healing? I will admit that I continue to pray for healing. But now it would be fair to ask me, why? In the end, in the end, I've come to realize that whether or not I believe doesn't have much to do with what God is capable of. And I do without any question. Well, maybe I'd ask a few questions. But I do believe that God created the universe, our planet, and every living thing that exists. I don't know how God did it, but I do believe that God did. So clearly, I believe in an all-powerful God. I must, therefore, believe in a God that is at least capable of offering physical and emotional healing. I know I believe in a God who will offer all of us complete healing in the life to come. But who am I to say that God doesn't do the same occasionally in this life? So yes, I believe in healing. And yes, I'm humbled and way out of my league when I try to offer any simple or all-inclusive explanation for how or when divine healing takes place. I have over the past 35 years asked the following question of many doctors I've had the chance to meet, get to know. I ask them, have you ever in your practice witnessed a healing for which you have no medical explanation? Interestingly, the answer has fallen into two groups. Some doctors have just said a flat and emphatic, nope, never. Others have been animated by the question and wanted to tell me a story of a surprise healing that changed the way very often they see their own practice. Interestingly, there have been no in-betweens. No one has said, well, I do have a couple of instances I wonder about. Only certain no's and excited yeses. And by the way, all doctors I asked were already people of faith. Franz Werfel, an author who, with the help of some others, narrowly escaped Nazi Germany and the concentration camps, said something about the question of faith that I think applies here. He said, for those who believe, no explanation is necessary. And for those who do not believe, no explanation is possible. Or, if you're looking for a more contemporary reference, we can capture a similar thought spoken by the elf named Judy in the Tim Allen movie, The Santa Claus. Tim Allen's character, Scott Calvin, finding himself at the North Pole and looking around at all that's happening around him, says to Judy, the elf, 
I see it, but I don't believe it. Judy the Elf then says, you're missing the point. Scott Calvin, more than a little irritated, said, what is the point? Judy says, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. I don't know how to explain when and why God chooses to heal. I comfort myself through these difficult questions by being reminded that in the end, I believe we all are given the same gift, eternal life. And probably in the long run, from the perspective of eternal life in the presence of God, the trials and struggles of this world won't seem like such a burden. That's what I believe to be true anyway. But I also don't want to diminish the burdens of this world because I have seen some awful suffering. But I do believe that there is something better on the horizon for us that is on a scale of grandeur and joy that we don't even have the capability to comprehend. I also believe that Judy the Elf, even though she's a fictional character, said it pretty well. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. When I go through the world wondering, where is God? I don't see very much happening. But when I go through my life reminding myself that God is at work in my life, And the world around me, well, then I'm frequently surprised how often I'm seeing the loving, generous touch of God on display in so many amazing ways. That's all for today. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. And please feel free to get in touch with me through email, and I invite you to follow me on Twitter. Just remember, both are SkyPilot with three Ts, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T. My email is skypilot at gmail.com. My Twitter handle is at skypilot. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot FaithQuest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember... The sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.